You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 24. Hi there, everyone. I'm glad you could join me for another episode of The Raven and the Writing Desk. For those who are new to the show, I am Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City Story Universe. You can find my past work at metamorecity.com. For this show, I commit to spend an average of six hours per week writing new fiction, and on the weekend I share with you what I've been working on. My minimum word count per day started at 250 words, but it's been going up as I continue to write consistently. Right now my daily goal is 500 words. You can track my daily progress on The Magic Spreadsheet. The link will be in the show notes. Now then, let's get to today's story. Today I'm bringing you the first part of my Metamore City novel, Things Unseen. After conversations with my audio producer and my fans, I've decided that the time has come to bring this story to the podcast. For one thing, all of the stories I'm writing now take place after this one, so it was getting harder and harder to avoid spoilers. So, without further ado, let us begin. Things Unseen, a novel of Metamore City, by Chris Lester. Prologue. Twenty-five years ago, October 25th, 1974, Christos Reckoning. Telvari Rift Protectorate, Irambi. Dr. Cynthia Rain slipped into her mirror suit and zipped it up from crotch to sternum doing her best to ignore the smell. After 43 days in the jungle, the suit reeked, and every morning her nose reminded her of the sacrifices she was making in the name of science. Then again, it wasn't as if anyone in the Project Lightpath team would complain about her lack of hygiene. None of them were in any better shape, and none of them regretted it for a moment. Not with what waited for them when they opened the hatch every morning. Cynthia slid open the lead shield that covered the room's one small porthole. A shaft of brilliant light poured into the skyship's hold, the tropical Arambient sun shining brightly, even through three inches of leaded glass. Absently, she pulled on her gloves as she stared out at the forest canopy below, adjusting the fittings and locking down the seals by muscle memory. It was a beautiful morning topside, and while the forest floor would be as dark and shadowed as always, Cynthia knew they could be standing in that sunlight by mid-afternoon if they made good time. The forest edge stood barely ten kilometers off, and beyond that... She stared out at the rift itself, her stomach quivering in anticipation. On first glance it was a hideous thing, a jagged tear in the flesh of the world. Some seventy kilometers long and nearly five kilometers wide... The rift stood in mute testimony of man's inhumanity to man. Here the lives of six million Telvari had been snuffed out in the space of an eye-blink, obliterated in the most destructive act of ritual magic ever perpetrated by human beings. Where there had once been a fertile river valley and the industrial heart of the Telvari war machine, an instant later there was... 
nothing. Even with its considerable role in starting the war, even with the atrocities Telvar had committed against its neighbors in the mad dash for power and territory, there were many among the Allies who felt that the Balefire spell had been excessive. The names of the wizards who had developed and cast the spell were expunged from the records for their own protection. Many believed that the region would lie dead for eternity, the earth burned down to its charred and blackened bones. The fates, it seemed, had other plans. When the Empire of Metamore launched its first global mapping satellites in the 1950s, the photographs of the rift revealed not a wasteland, but a dense tropical forest growing nearly to the rift's edge. The same spell that wiped Telvar off the map had cracked open a hidden mana nexus deep below the surface, and the resulting thaumaton radiation had bathed the surrounding countryside with spectacular results. The levels of life-aspected mana were so intense that not even the best theoreticians could predict what effects it might have on the local biota. Project Lightpath was born soon thereafter, and now Cynthia, Gordon, and their teammates were making history as they reported back to the rest of the world on their discoveries. And such discoveries! In the last six weeks, Cynthia had seen plants that made food from mana instead of sunlight, lizards that used invisibility fields to stalk their prey, even herbivores who could absorb any spell directed at them and spit it back at their attackers, a fact that her teammate Matthew had discovered when he hit one with a binding spell for closer study. Many of the new organisms could be identified as kin to known species in the surrounding ecosystems, but the magic of the rift had changed them thoroughly and fundamentally. Levels of life-aspected mana this high were more than mutagenic. They transformed both the somatic cells and the germline, changing both the individual organism and all of its potential offspring. Even knowing that such effects were possible, the sheer variety of unique species that existed here was beyond anything Cynthia had ever imagined. As a graduate student at Empire University, she had dreamed of discovering just one new species. In the last week alone, she had discovered fifty. The touch of a hand on her shoulder brought Cynthia out of her reverie. Commander Gordon Levinson leaned in beside her and looked out at the rift, his gray eyes sparkling in the morning light. Not far now, eh? He grinned, straight white teeth framed by a thick salt-and-pepper beard. I reckon we'll be there by supper time. Maybe lunch, if we hustle. What do you think? Should we leave the heavy gear for later and try to double-time it? Cynthia made a sucking sound between her front teeth. I don't know. Part of me's anxious to hurry up and get there, but we don't know how rough the ground's going to be. We might not want to make the trip twice if we don't have to. The commander nodded thoughtfully, stroking his beard. Yeah, I expect you're right, he said at last. Better to have and not need than need and not have, as my pappy used to say. Damn shame we can't steer this bird any closer. Cynthia checked the respirator on her mirror suit. The filters looked clear, and all the dials were in the green. True, she said, but I'm all for playing it safe at this point. It's a long walk out of here if the manorad scrags the enchantment. Gordon chuckled, a rich, warm sound. It reminded Cynthia of her husband, and she fought down a brief pang of longing for Harold and their infant son, Hal Jr. The pregnancy's timing had been damned inconvenient. She'd nearly been taken off the mission— but she fought and begged to stay on, and in the end the brass relented. She'd had to work twice as hard to get her body back into field condition, but it had been worth it. 
It had all been worth it. Still, she couldn't help feeling a little homesickness now and then. Gordon seemed to read the warring emotions in her eyes. His grin faded, and he nodded once, a sharp little gesture of respect. Ready for the fishbowl? he asked. Cynthia nodded back as she pulled the suit zipper the rest of the way up. Let's do this. Gordon raised the bulky helmet of the mirror suit and slid it over Cynthia's head. He gave it a twist to tighten the seal, then used the clamps to lock it down. Breathe, he said. The respirator whirred and hissed as Cynthia took a deep breath in and out. Air's okay, she said. The helmet was stuffy, but at least it didn't smell as bad as the suit. The climate control systems clicked on with a quiet hum, and the inner lining of the suit grew chilly against her skin. A soft current of cool, dry air circulated through the helmet each time that she took a breath. Gordon shook the helmet back and forth a little, but there was no wobble between it and the suit. Seals good. They turned around, and Cynthia helped Gordon with his helmet in turn. All through the cargo bay, the other members of the Lightpath team were doing likewise. Gordon called them into a circle, checking each pair of partners for the thumbs up. He pressed the chin lever inside his helmet and spoke, his voice crackling through the wireless. Okay, boys and girls, this is the big day. Sensors are picking up increased activity from the rift. Nothing in the danger zone yet, but CNC wants us to push on and get some readings at the edge in case they have to pull us out later. There's going to be a hundred million people watching us today, so smile for the cameras and try to look pretty. Tolly, that means you keep me behind you. Tolly, the team's camera operator, raised her still cam and shot a close-range photo of him, just for spite. The flash was bright in the dim confines of the skyship, and the team laughed as Gordon tried to blink the spots out of his eyes. And on that note, he said dryly, let's go make history. As they had each morning for the last 42 days, the Lightpath survey team descended on repelling lines from the hovering skyship and made their way down through the canopy to the forest floor. Paulette, the supply officer, lowered down the thaumatometer and the rest of the heavy equipment on a cargo pallet. Each team member wordlessly loaded his or her backpack with their share of the weight, the duties made automatic by routine. Gordon checked the compass, then gestured with his machete. Cynthia and the others fell in behind him. Progress was slow, as was often the case in the jungle. The mirror suits were heavy, even with the lightest shielding the engineers could devise, and then there was the equipment itself. No one carried less than twenty kilos. Gordon and some of the other big men were toting thirty. In a good hour they could manage two kilometers, but their average was somewhere closer to one. At least heat prostration wasn't a concern. Though the forest floor topped 34 degrees and 98% humidity, the mirror suit kept Cynthia's personal environment cool and comfortable. The stunning diversity of the forest spread out before Cynthia, tempting her with strange new sights and sounds at every turn. Normally she would stop and savor this feast, but this morning she pushed it to the margins of her thoughts and focused on the twisting path before her. There would be more missions, she was sure and they had an appointment with wonders greater than these. They were less than two kilometers from the rift when Tolly came up alongside her, a frustrated expression on her cinnamon-brown face. Dr. Rains, CNC says they're having trouble with the vid feed. The increased manorad is following the signal. Cynthia frowned. 
Can you do anything to boost the power? Already did, two clicks ago. The batteries are tapping out. Hmm. Cynthia thought about the sensor systems she was toting around on her own back. Most of them related to her own specialty in the life sciences, and while she'd brought them just in case, she didn't expect to find much living at the rift itself. She gestured for Tali's transmitter rig and checked the shape of the power socket. As she'd hoped, it was compatible with the external power pack that was built into her equipment harness. All right, I'll take over broadcast duties for now, Cynthia said, fitting the transmitter rig to her harness and plugging it into the power pack. We can swap harnesses once we get to the edge. Cynthia dialed the transmitter power up to maximum and raised the camera to the faceplate of her mirror suit. CNC, this is Dr. Rains. Are you getting this? A response came back a moment later, faint and heavily distorted, but intelligible. Dr. Rains, this is CNC. It's weak, but we read you. Copy that. We'll probably be reaching the rift in about two hours. I don't know how long we'll be able to punch through this distortion, but I'll keep recording as long as the batteries hold out. We copy, Rains. Good luck. Shortly after two o'clock, the forest gave way to oddly shaped weeds and scrub bushes. Beyond them, the bare rock cliffs of the rift itself stood less than a kilometer away. Heavy clouds filled the canyon nearly to the brim, blocking any hint of the bottom. Even through the manorad shielding of the mirror suit, Cynthia felt the pulsing life of the place, buzzing down her spine and turning her skin to goose flesh. Gordon whistled softly. Would you look at that, he said. There's a view worth waking up for, and no mistake. Emerus Nightwind, the team's biomancer, came up to stand next to Gordon. The elf's eyes narrowed in concentration, and the tips of his ears twitched like a dog focusing on a strange noise. Commander, I'm sensing something... unusual in the rift. Gordon quirked an eyebrow at him. I would have thought that was obvious, Em. Nightwind didn't smile. I meant besides the bare facts of its existence. There is structure in the mana fields here, far more than is normal for a nexus this young. The pattern suggests a sentient presence of some kind. Unconsciously, the members of Team Lightpath drew closer together. Gordon fixed the elf with a piercing look. Em, are you saying this thing is alive? Nightwind returned his gaze evenly. I don't know, Commander but I am certain of one thing. We are not alone. Cynthia shivered. She could feel it, too, the sense of a presence both powerful and alien. It seemed neither friendly nor malevolent, but it was very... watchful. Gordon chewed on his bottom lip for a moment, then nodded. Well, all right, then. Looks like this mission just got more interesting. He looked at Cynthia and his lips drew back in a wry grin. Let's go say hello. And that's where we'll stop it for this week, folks. The chapters in Things Unseen are long, all between 4,000 and 6,000 words, so I'm breaking each chapter roughly in half for the podcast. I'll have the second half of the prologue ready for you next week. Voltaire said, 
Writing is the painting of the voice. Time to show you what's on my easel. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 6,745 words this week, over the course of 8.75 hours, for an average writing speed of 771 words per hour. As of Friday night, when I'm writing this script, I've gone 158 days without breaking my chain. This week I finished my short story for the Patreon patrons, a vignette about Morgan and Amelie titled Just Coffee. That story will be released in the Patreon feed no later than November 8th, and all patrons will be able to listen to it. So even if you can only afford a dollar a month, you'll still get some fun bonus content as a thank you for your support. That's at patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. After giving it some thought, I've decided to set aside my Kevin story, The Way is in the Heart, and come back to it at a later date. Instead, I've gone back to work on my next big Metamorcity novel, The Lost and the Least. I was afraid to dive straight back into this story when I started writing again back in May, but I feel like I've got my groove back, and this story is important to me. So far, I've added about 3,000 words to the book, bringing the running word count up to nearly 15,000 words. I've also decided to break the book up into shorter chapters, around two or 3,000 words, instead of having them be five or 6,000 words the way Things Unseen was. That will make it easier to break up the book when the time comes to podcast it. Finally, one more note about writing. As most of you know, November is NaNoWriMo, or National Novel Writing Month. A lot of aspiring authors use NaNo as an excuse to get their own writing in gear. The goal is to write a novel of 50,000 words during the month of November, which averages out to 1,667 words per day. Now, I will not be doing NaNoWriMo, but I'm betting that a lot of you listening to this might be thinking about taking up the challenge. If you're interested in using NaNo to take your next step toward being a professional author, I recommend checking out a new daily podcast by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty Nikian. It's called Every Month is NaNoWriMo, and it features quick, two-minute lessons every day on how to improve at the craft and discipline of writing. You can find it at nanowrimoeverymonth.com. That's spelled N-A-N-O-W-R-I-M-O everymonth.com. The link will be in the show notes. Finally, the feedback. Hi, Chris. It's Sarah Testarossa calling in with feedback for the final part of The Three Graces. I liked the ending. I liked the ending with one quibble, and I'll get to the quibble first because, well, it makes the most sense to me. It felt like kind of a tease to have all this build up to me wondering, like, who is questioning them? Granted, you didn't, like, you know, make it super, super teasy, but I was just curious the whole time. But so all this build up to who's questioning them and then me not knowing who the heck the character is. I know that's my own fault for not reading things on scene yet, but as I have told you, I have a really big backlog of books to read and I've not had much time for reading, which is why I am in total support of you starting to record things unseen yourself and podcast it. Hi, Sarah. I think there are a lot of folks in your situation, people who may have been planning to read things unseen, who may have even purchased a copy, but either haven't had time or just prefer stories in audio. Knowing that was the case, I decided the best thing I could do was to go ahead and start podcasting it. This has two additional benefits as well. 
it gives me time to work on The Lost and the Least, and at the end of it all, I'll have my audio all ready for an audiobook version. But, yeah, so because I haven't read Things Unseen and I haven't seen The White Widow and anything else, and I couldn't find an open Metamora wiki because apparently the closed one is for people who are participating in the universe or something, I don't know, you'll have to explain that. The Metamora City Writers Wiki is available to anyone who wants to write in the setting. All you have to do is, number one, email me and ask to join. Number two, agree not to give away any of the spoilers that are on the wiki. And number three, release any stories you create with that content under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means you give credit to me and any other authors whose work you used. You can't sell or monetize the work in any way. And whatever you add to the universe can be taken and used by other writers, as long as they follow the same provisions. If you want to be able to sell your work, like Nobilis does, then you need to talk to me about a licensing agreement. But if you're just writing stories for fun, the Creative Commons license is all you need. If you want to get in on the fun, send me an email, and I'll give you instructions on how to join. Anyway, I really felt for Natalie in how she's talking about what her current status with her mom is, because in Dreams of Change, she just said, my mother doesn't live with us anymore or something like that. And whereas really it's much more complicated than that, but the fact that she even sees her, ah, that's got to be rough seeing her at the church and like having these superficial like family outings, but not being able to get really close to her. It's really sad. But for Natalie, I wonder which would be worse, no contact or this little bit of contact. And really, if you think about it, she hadn't had that much in terms of like closeness with her mother in years anyway, because her mom was like so obsessed with and devoted to the church. So I don't know. And as for Nathan, I mean, I feel for him too. I felt for him throughout this whole thing. I mean, all of them really. I mean, they're very characters that are able to be sympathized with all of the graces. But the interaction between the White Widow and Amelie was pretty neat. And I'm kind of excited to see when you return to them what's going to go on. Because just the way that it sounds, you know, okay, Malcolm did what I think actually really was pretty much Amelie's best option at the time and helped Amelie with, you know, controlling her impulses. I don't really know who would have been a better person to help her do that. Especially just because, you know, her sire is dead. So the fact that he helped raise her, but the fact that she's going to, you know, potentially work with the White Widow against him is going to be interesting. And the fact that she carries Elora's bloodline, that's one heck of a legacy. So who knows what we've got coming up and who knows when, just because you have so many things going on in this world and some of them intertwining more than others although I have a feeling that everything intertwines a lot more than I think it does just because you've kept talking about like an overarching story arc back in the uh, Metamore City podcast so we'll see but definitely definitely cool and looking forward to that and um, I do look forward to learning more about the White Widow I just <laughs> I guess I probably will have to wait for it until I get into things unseen however that may be hopefully in podcast form Sarah your hopes have been granted you're right things in this story world are very connected over the next few novels we'll see how the fates of the police the immortals the vampires the lightbringers and the telepaths are all intertwined 
It's going to be so much fun. In the meantime, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you'll get a little peek at the direction things are heading in this month's bonus story, Just Coffee. As I said before, it's a vignette between Morgan and Amelie. And for now, it's exclusive to Patreon subscribers. And that brings me to this month's new Patreon patrons. Sebastian, Guardian Lion, Zarpolis, Judy, and Jamie. In addition, Stephen J. and Stephen M. both increased their pledges to $10 a month, which puts them in my creative council. That means I'll be consulting with them about characters and situations they want to see in upcoming stories, as well as seeking their feedback on things like new cover art. If $10 a month is more than you can spare, not to worry. For just 3 bucks a month, you can still get early access to author commentaries, story previews, artwork, and other cool stuff. Head over to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester, take a look at the reward options, and make your pledge today. If you'd like to sound off about the show, you can send your message in text or mp3 audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, call area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, and my Twitter handle is Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. To converse with your fellow fans, join the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group. There's also the Metamore City discussion forums, but as I said last week, I'm shutting that site down if we don't start to see people using it by the end of November. The address for that is metamorecity.freeforums.org. That'll do it for this week, folks. Come back next time for more fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2013 through 2015 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.